1 Corinthians uh, 3, 1 through 3, Paul said, I wanted to write unto you, brethren, as spiritual, but you are yet carnal. And so I'm having to write unto you in a carnal way. In other words, Paul was expecting spiritual growth among his brethren at Corinth. And for the majority of them, it had just not yet happened in their lives. This morning we focused on physical gambling and the evils that that practice brings. Most of us will never be involved in that sort of practice. But there is the idea of spiritual gambling that for just a brief time this evening I want us to focus on, spiritual gambling. And I am speaking to you as spiritual, as spiritual. And I want us to think very soberly about the possibility of gambling away our souls, even even among us who care about the Lord and care about His teachings. The devil, he doesn't stop. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, we read about a man who helped Paul for years. Can you imagine working alongside of Paul? And all the great spiritual work that they did together. His name is Demas. But he left. He went back to the world. He loved this present world. And he left and went back. And so, I want us to use the same principles this evening as we used this morning. And warn ourselves of spiritual gambling. And I'm speaking to myself first and foremost, and to all of us who seek to try to do good in the name of our Lord. So again, the first principle is that spiritual gambling is an issue of self-control. Spiritual gambling is also an issue of self-control. All of sin is dominating. The devil comes at us to dominate our lives. Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 12, Let not sin reign, R-E-I-G-N, reign in your mortal body. That's what sin seeks to do, is to rule us. All the sin is that way. One of the sins that we might struggle with is the sin of leaving things undone. The sin of undone. James 4 verse 17 says, To him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. And when we are involved in the sin of leaving things undone, then that develops into what we call a rut. A rut. Now Paul actually mentions this idea in Ephesians 2 and verse 3 where he says that Before we come to Christ, we are by nature the children of wrath. Before we come to Christ, we are by nature the children of wrath. The word nature there means something done done by long habit. By long habit. That spells a rut to me. By your long habit, you have become children of wrath in the eyes of the Lord. That That is a rut. Why is a rut so attractive? Why is a rut 
so addictive to us? Well, first of all, because it is easy to get into and it's hard to get out of. It's an easy path. And you, you might remember ruts. If you remember or if you've ever had experiences on roads that were left unpaved and after the rain comes and the mud settles and then the tires and wheels make grooves uh, in the mud, then that is uh, a rut that you stay in uh, for a while. Ruts in life are easy to enter and hard to get out of. Also, another reason they're so addictive and attractive is because uh, there are some benefits to the ruts. Okay? The ruts lead us to some place in life, and there are temporary benefits uh, to, to ruts and to habits. Okay? Um, it's beginning to be the time of the year where we're thinking more and more about our, our yard work and our maintenance uh, outside, and it is, it is a benefit uh, to, to sweat and to work and then to look back on what you've done and see that things are much neater now before you started out uh, that day. Okay. But if we continue practices, practices that are of themselves not sinful or harmless, but if we continue these things in a rut and are never attentive to helping somebody else in their spiritual condition, then that is a rut that becomes dangerous uh, to us. So spiritual ruts are addictive and attractive because they're easy to get into and because there are some benefits uh, to them and also because there's a lot of fellowship there. Most people are in a spiritual rut. They're, they're not making many changes uh, in their lives, changes they know they need to make. And I believe that's why Paul writes in Ephesians 5.14, Awake all that you that sleep. Awake thou that sleepest, Paul says, Ephesians 5, verse 14. Awake thou that sleepest. And so when it comes to spiritual gambling, taking a careless chance with our souls, we need to remember the issue of self-control. For us to, to stay away from ruts, it's going to take a lot of self-control. For us, to get out of a rut, it's going to take a lot of trust and a lot of diligence and faith in our Lord. Second issue, we think about spiritual gambling. Second issue is the issue of management. Quickly, let's just review what we mean here. We are stewards of God's resources and He expects us to faithfully manage those resources uh, on His behalf. When you think about the Lord and His ownership, I think about four areas where He has ownership, but also where He expects us to be stewards, to be managers uh, on His behalf. Okay. So here are these four areas. The first area is, is that of people. The Lord owns people. Psalm 24, verse 1, once again. All the world belongs to Him, and everybody who dwells in it belongs to uh, to him, I believe it's the, uh, there's a statement in Ezekiel 18 that says, God is saying, all souls belong to me. And that's so uh, very true. Hebrews 12 mentions how God is the father of all spirits. He's the father 
of all souls. From, from the creation standpoint, God created everybody. He creates everybody, and we all belong to him. But God has a certain purpose for his creation. He has a certain person. He has a certain purpose for his people, and that is he wants them to be saved. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9 says, We have not been created for wrath. Okay, and that's, a, that's a powerful statement, I think, because God didn't created us, create us to experience his wrath. He didn't really create us to, for us to experience hell. But rather, he says there, We have not been created for wrath, but rather for salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so everybody belongs to the Lord and he has a great purpose for everybody to, to walk with him and eventually be with him in heaven. And we're involved in that. We're involved in that because the Lord has given us the great commission to go into all the world and, and teach all nations, Matthew uh, 28, verse 19, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are to uh, take those things that have been committed to us and and teach them and commit them to faithful men. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, who shall be able to teach others also. Okay. And I, I love this passage in Hebrews uh, 13, 17, where it says that those who lead are um, watching over our souls, uh, wherein they may give account. Uh, I will go along with you and say that Hebrews 13, 17 um, may apply first to the leaders of the church, but how can this not apply to every Christian? Can you, can you imagine going up to a Christian and saying, uh, you are not accountable to God for the souls uh, that are lost in your life? God would never say that. So at least in a secondary way, Hebrews 13, 17, where it says we'll give an account uh, for the souls among us applies uh, to everybody. To all of us. Okay. So the first group is that God, um, He owns everybody. Okay. He wants everybody to be saved. And we're involved in that stewardship uh, process. But a second thing that God owns that we're involved in is the gospel itself. Uh, you might recall Jude verse 3 where Jude says, We are to contend for the faith that was once for all uh, delivered unto the saints. Well, we are the saints. Okay. And God has preserved, and aren't we thankful? God has preserved His holy writings, and, and He has given them to us, and He is expecting us to use these writings uh, respectfully and to use these writings wisely, to know, come to know them and then share them uh, with others. When Paul was speaking or writing in Romans 1.15, he says, I'm a debtor, Romans 1, 14 and 15. I'm a debtor to all men. I'm, I'm a debtor to the Jew and the Greek. I'm a debtor to the wise and the unwise. I'm a debtor to you who are at Rome. I'm eager to come and preach the gospel to you at, at Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation. But notice he says the gospel is, is the gospel of Christ. The gospel belongs to the Lord, but we're involved in dispersing uh, that gospel. And so the, the issue of management, and so one group is all people, and then another uh, thought there is the gospel that God owns, but God also has ownership as far as his grace is concerned. See, 1 Peter 4.10 says we're to be 
We're to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God's grace, it's so difficult to, to tackle in one lesson. It's difficult to tackle in one year in a series of lessons because His grace is everywhere. Personally, God has given us benefits and personal blessings, and we are to use those to enrich and help the lives of others, especially in a spiritual way. How do we do that? Well, Peter says, when we do this, 1 Peter 14 and 11, this is done to the glory of God. The only way to bring glory to God is in helping somebody else. Matthew 5 verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, we glorify God, of course, when we come and praise Him in spirit and truth. But the other way of praising the Lord is by by spiritually, especially spiritually, helping someone else. When someone else comes to have the conviction that they need to glorify God, then we have glorified God. When we have served someone to the point where they are now glorifying God, then we, in that service, have glorified God. And so there's the grace of God. God, God owns everybody. God owns the gospel, and we're involved in that. God owns the gift of His grace, and we're involved in that. And God owns the children. The children. I love what Brother Wendell read for us uh, earlier this morning. Psalm 127 and verse 3. The children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Okay? The Lord has graciously, uh, graciously given us these children, and we're to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, Ephesians 6, verse 4. But notice here that, that it's a spiritual gamble if we don't take seriously the stewardship of God. It's required in stewards, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. It's required in stewards that a man be, be found faithful. Now, here's the exciting part about this management, this spiritual management. There's such possibilities here. Okay. I want us to notice the promise of Jesus once again in Matthew 25, 21, where he will say to those on his right hand, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want you to notice this closely. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will now make you ruler over many things. Now, as you read this, think about heaven. Think about heaven. Think about what's going to come our way if we are faithful stewards now. Okay, So read it again, Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. Now, now the things that we're involved here in, here on this earth, are considered a few things. Okay. At the end of your life, when you look back, and God looks back at your life, He's going to say, okay, you've been faithful over a few things. But now, where you are going, you're going to now be a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Brother Roger, when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, we're not going to be sitting around. We're not going to be twiddling our thumbs. Okay? I don't know what it's all going to be about. We're going to be servants there. And the Lord's going to make us ruler over many things. There are many things to consider in heaven. 
and a few things to consider here on this earth. And we get to be involved with those many things if we are faithful stewards over these few things here on earth. I just think that's tremendously uh, exciting to think about. But also in this issue of management, there are some tragedies. Not just possibilities, but tragedies. Because the temptation from old Satan is that instead of paying attention to the building up of our soul and the building up of other people's soul, then he wants us to spend our resources, spend the Lord's resources on, on frivolous things, okay? on, on games, on games. And how much, how much money of, of the Lord's people is going to things that uh, eternally don't matter? Okay? The Lord understands that we need rest and recreation, how many times do we go overboard on that? How many times does our wants end up becoming our needs in our own minds? Okay. So spiritual gambling is an issue of self-control, but it's also an issue of management. And then in third place, spiritual gambling is an issue of honesty, of honesty. You see, as we mentioned this morning, the, the gambler, the outright gambler, he is looking to have some gains in a very cheap and uh, easy and quick way. Okay. And Satan works on us, and he likes for us to think that you can get spiritual results in a quick, easy, and cheap way. Isn't that what Satan does? That's what, that's what he tried to do with Jesus there uh, in the wilderness. Jump off the pinnacle of this temple, and you'll get You'll get everybody following you. The angels will come down, swoop you up, and you'll, you'll accomplish the goals you want to accomplish. And you don't have to go through all this fasting and suffering and sacrificing. Jesus, you are the Son of God. Command these stones to be made bread. Let's, not, let's pass over all of, this, all of this work that needs to be done. The Pharisees of Jesus' day, as we read in Matthew 23... They were much like this. Jesus told them, he says, you're like, you're like whited sepulchers. Uh, outwardly, you're, you appear beautiful, but inwardly, you're full of dead men's bones. He says, you are the type of people that will cleanse the outside of the cup, but you won't bother to clean the inside of the cup. He's, he's pointing right to their lives. He's pointing right to them. And what they're doing, they're trying to create spiritual results without doing the honest work that is needed. If we, of course, and you know this, but we need to be reminded of it, if we're going to grow spiritually, it's going to take all of our efforts, all of our efforts. Look in your Bibles with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, just real briefly, but in 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 5, he begins a list of qualities that will help us to grow spiritually, but notice how he begins uh, this list, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort, every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and so on. Okay. The older versions use the word diligence there. Okay. Here in the ESV it says, make every effort to supplement your faith and add virtue and knowledge and, and love and brotherly affection and self-control, and all these other qualities, add them uh, to your lives. 
It's going to take every effort, every effort. If we want to grow in Bible knowledge, it's going to take daily Bible study, but also not just daily, but day and night, Psalm 1, 1 and 2. We remember the words of Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, where he says, to make every effort, a study to show yourself approved unto God, but really there he's saying, make every effort to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay. We take all of our effort. The devil will tempt us always to say, well, you can just watch a quick video, okay, or you can just attend an event here or there, and that will be your spirituality, and it doesn't work that way at all. We remember our Lord Jesus, Luke 6, verse 12. He spent all night in prayer. We're not, we don't misread the words there. He spent all night in prayer. It takes diligence, every effort to grow the way the Lord would have us uh, to grow. It takes, it takes coming to worship and putting our entire heart, soul, mind, and strength into that worship in order to grow uh, in that worship. Now, same thing with trying to reach other people with the gospel. The devil would have us to try to do this in some sort of quick, easy way. Okay. There's no substitute for the planting of the seed of the kingdom, is there? There's not. Last week in our, one of our Bible classes, we talked about how Jesus compared the kingdom of heaven to leaven. To leaven. And leaven is that substance, that, that substance that influences the bread to expand, the, the yeast, if you will. And uh, you put that in the meal, and eventually it will expand and influence. Jesus is talking there about the influence of his kingdom, but he says this is how it's going to happen, and there's no other way around it. Okay. You have to penetrate the world with the seed of the gospel, and then you have to have the patience to let that expand. Okay. And one of the qualities of leadership is patience and not panic. Where do you get the patience? From your faith. You believe in God. You believe in the power of the gospel. You believe that as that seed is planted, it will expand. It will work. We must penetrate the world. We must get the gospel into the, into the world. We must approach people, but it will work. So we see that spiritual gambling is an issue of self-control and it also can be an issue of management and honesty, but also, uh, before we close tonight, it's an issue of love. Of course it is. Of course it is. One of the great um, defenses, one of the great shields of gambling your soul away is love is love. As the devil gets into our heart, he would have us silently say, it doesn't really matter what you do. He would have us to silently say, it's okay if you enrich yourselves and ignore the spiritual needs of your neighbor. He would have us to silently say to ourselves, who cares if millions are groping without the gospel, 
as long as we're okay. The devil would have us to say that. As long as we're okay, as long as me and mine are okay, then that's really all that matters. But here's what Satan doesn't tell us. We're not really okay. Not really okay if we're not, if we're not seeking, if we don't have the same sort of passion that Christ has toward helping those who are without Christ. We're not really okay. When Paul was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, chapter 4, verse 16, uh, he told him to devote yourself to the doctrine, continue in the teaching that you may be able to both save yourself and those that hear you. Okay. God has the same concern for that other person out there as he does uh, for us. We must be careful. We must be careful not to get in the habit of turning to our own, our own lives so much that we forget about the needs of other people. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says it well, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's what the devil would have us to do, to just to turn, turn to ourselves, turn to our own way, and that will lead us away from the flock, uh, as easy as can be. Now, the good news about love, bad news about gambling, physical gambling, is that it's, it's a winner-take-all proposition. Okay. And the gambler doesn't really care for you. But the good news about the gospel, the good news about God is there's room for everybody. Okay. And underscore this statement here in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8, where Paul says, therefore, there's laid up for me that crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me on that day, but not to me only, but also to all of them that love his appearing, to everyone who seeks to do his will, to everyone who wants to hear him, to everyone who wants to follow Christ, the same crown of righteousness is reserved for them as well. And if we don't understand this, we are, we are spiritually gambling our soul away. When Paul talks about running the Christian race here in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, listen to what he says. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners will compete, but only one receives the prize? So you run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it with, uh, to receive a perishable uh, crown but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run with aimless uh, effort. I do not box as one beating at the air, but rather I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself would be uh, cast away. What's he saying there? He says in a regular race, only one gets the prize, but he's making a contrast here. In the race of the Christian life, the race of Christian living, Everyone who remains faithful, everyone who are, who are good stewards of God's grace gets the prize. They get to hear the Lord say, good, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Similar to our thoughts on gambling this morning in regard to love, when we take the gospel to people, we are looking out for their best interest, even when they are not looking out for their best interest. A lot of people are not spiritually minded, but we must approach them anyway. 
and ask them some serious questions about their soul. Maybe start out by asking them, oh, what do you think is waiting on you on the other side? Have you read the obituaries lately? Do you think you're going, are you one of the special ones that's never going to die? And they're going to say, well, of course I'm going to die. Well, what's waiting on you on the other side? Okay. Do you think you're just so good that, that God's going to reward you? And they're going to say, no, no, that's not the case. Well, what is it then that you, you need to know? And just get started with them because the stakes are way uh, too high. We're looking out for their best interest, even they may not be. Okay. And all of this is an issue of salvation. So it's the same issues as this morning. It's just we're trying to think about spiritual gambling. We can spiritually gamble our soul away if we're not interested and passionate about helping other people come to know Jesus. Let me ask it this way. And we won't, we won't read the passages about hellfire. Not, not this evening. But you know what they are. <clears throat> Let me ask it this way. Do the benefits of not reaching out outweigh the cost of not reaching out? Do the benefits of not reaching out outweigh the cost of not reaching out? In other words, if, if, if we go about our business and we stay in our rut, there's going to be many benefits. The Lord just bless. He, he, he has rain falling on the just and the unjust. Okay. The likelihood is that you will receive, you'll continue to receive, anyone will continue to receive. They live a, a decent life. They receive blessings on this hand, blessings on that hand. Okay. You can just, anyone can continue and never reach out to another soul, and you'll probably most likely, 90-something percent of the time, continue to be blessed. But do the benefits of not reaching out outweigh the cost of not reaching out? And you know what those costs are. Read the passages yourself, Revelation 14, 10. Read, read Revelation 21, verse 8. Read Matthew 25, 41. And, and read once again about the hell of fire. And we'll see that no, no, triple times no, those benefits of just sticking to ourselves do not outweigh the cost, not if we're looking at it from the standpoint of God. Let us not gamble away the very things that God has brought our way. This was just sort of a way of helping us to have a little devotional together, to sit down and look at ourselves, including me, First and, first, first and foremost, me, to look at myself closely because am I creating habits and ruts that are maybe good for me but bad for the eternal souls of other people? Will you come this evening as we stand together and as we sing?